Well, I was saying like with Jen saying that, you know, people feel like you're going to have this like rocky moment where maybe oh. like somebody's going to make fun of you and then you get train into the gym right. and you train real hard and you get I to come it. back. Like that is not, not real, right. real life. That's not what people leave feeling. Most of the time people and to speak to Jen's point to say to anyone anything that is not a new idea to them and think that you're going to evoke some type of change to tell a, a fat person that they're fat or do you like <laughs> to tell anybody anything that they already have felt about themselves is not really going to evoke a change from them like yeah you saw it today I've been seeing it for years you know Welcome to The Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today, we are joined by April Cunningham, confidence coach, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Influencer. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer. Lawrence Rassall, The Weekend Chef, also known as The Artisan. So many moons ago, we talked about The Power of Vulnerability, a book by Brene Brown. And in that book, she talks about shame and its effect on us. And so I thought it was interesting that recently in the news, there's been a lot of talk about fat shaming. Have you guys heard about this? Mm-hmm. Mm. So for those who aren't familiar, Bill Maher, a political pundit, has a show on HBO, and he did a segment about fat shaming. And really, the segment was about the cost of healthcare in America and how the Democratic presidential candidates are going to address it. And so in that discussion, he said that, you know, the, the biggest factor impacting our health is really our diet and the way we eat, choose to eat. And that until that gets addressed, it really doesn't matter what any politician says they're going to do about our healthcare system in the United States. So he goes on to say how, you know, many years ago, primarily around the, um, quote unquote, landing of the moon on the moon, if that actually happened there. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> right. Me either. But, but since what is that? The 50th anniversary of that just happened. He was looking at images from that event and surprised at how slim Americans were in all of those pictures. And that that's very different than how people are today. Before we dive into this topic. Lisa, <laughs> we talked before on a previous episode about um, I went to a holistic doctor. Um, so while we're talking on like healthcare and that sort of thing, yes, we should eat differently. And I think even for the people who realize that maybe we need to make a dietary change. One of the things that shocked me the most when I went to a holistic doctor was like to see how much it cost. Like that's a whole nother episode. But like <laughs> in terms of that, too, just like. It's hard when you're when you are wanting to make a change to factor in all of the different things. Yes, you want to eat better and see better doctors and all of that. But the cost was like astronomical for me. Like I was totally sticker shocked uh, by how much, you know, it costs to even want to approach better eating and better health. And, that. and I'm I'm not someone who's like overweight or has any sort of like known health issues. Yeah, known health issues. I just wanted to navigate that for myself in a different way. Um and I was surprised. So I think if I had a real problem, I would be resistant to it even after that. 
because it was such a negative like experience for me. But <laughs> okay, we're we're gonna come back to actually, yeah, I think the cost of healthcare, yeah, and how there are people in situations and neighborhoods that while they may want to do something differently, there are limiting factors, mm -hmm. sometimes outside of their control. Mm -hmm. But we'll get to that in a second. Are you going to say something else, April? Mm, no. Okay. So, so he goes on to say how if we were to bring back fat shaming, that that would potentially help people make a change for the better. And his argument is primarily around the idea that we've done this in the past here in America, right? We shamed people into uh, smoking cessation, right? We shamed people into wearing seatbelts. Um, he says in some degree, we've shamed people out of racism. We've shamed people out of littering. That if we highlight, you know, how bad this is for you and make people feel bad about it, that that will change the way they feel about it. So there's more to that story, but I want to pause and get a reaction from the room. Do you think that that's true, that shaming people will change their behavior? First of all, I don't believe that we shamed anyone out of littering or racism or whatever. I, I don't I don't understand. I, I, I want to call for a fact check on that, because as we know, littering is pretty common. Uh, racism is pretty common. All these things that he mentioned. Where where has it gone? How has we shamed people? No, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I get off. I press the pause on that whole argument there. Then I follow up with, which is probably what Lisa's going to say, shame is not a sustainable motivator for anyone. And I say that with absolute and 100% conviction. I wasn't going to say that, actually. I do I do uh, agree with you there. But what I was going to say is we've shamed people out of doing it in public. Oh, but that's true. Right. People, people still do it in the comfort of their own home. They're still racist in their own home. They still litter when they feel like nobody's watching. They still smoke, you know, with the windows open. We've shamed people out of doing it in public. And so when you talk about fat shaming or something like that, okay, so people are going to have a salad in your presence. That doesn't mean that they're not going to go home and have a pint of ice cream because that's really all the shaming does is keep people from doing it where other people can judge them. Such a good point, Lisa. Excellent yeah. point. I agree. Yeah. Claws but I will say people smoke people smoke in the open. They do. They, Those they, are the they people post, who really don't care. They but, post things on Facebook. They're very nasty on social media yeah. about all kinds of things that we supposedly have shamed people out of. No, we haven't. We've just sent it underground to yep. Lisa's point. But I don't even think it's that far underground. We see that now. We're seeing yeah. that in the the way that the way that things are approached, the way people approach life, the, the categories we put things into when we are talking about someone or a race of people or a group of people. I, I, I don't even understand. I, I don't watch. What's his name? Bill Maher. Yeah, I don't I don't even watch him because I don't have a TV. So cool. Uh, but I did see the clip as a result in preparation for here. But I, I don't even understand. I'm I'm I'm, I'm viscerally responding to the whole premise of his argument in the first place and then shame does not make people feel good. Agreed. And therefore, it does not make them change. So there were several responses um, similar to yours. Um, the one the primary one is from James Corton, also a late night TV show host. And he's a portly fellow. Very, very funny. I like him a lot. Isn't that isn't that like so typical that <laughs> you describe the fat guy as funny? Anyway, well, he self-describes, right? right? He, he is, yeah. And he calls it out very, in a very, like, I'm qualified to speak on this because, hey, I actually know what it is to be fat shamed. Yeah. So let me, let me speak add my it. voice to the dialogue. And I will say that's one of the things where I got off of the, like, 
Belmar bus is like you don't you don't get the right to speak on that. I think so many times with whatever the situation is, we talk about addicts, we talk about fat people, we talk about smokers. It's like if you're if you're never been in that position, if you don't know what really drives that sort of behavior, then really you don't get to speak on it in a way that where you actually have compassion and you actually want to see change you get to speak on it from the outside this is what we should do this is what I think we should do but that was the beautiful thing about um I can't remember his name I do love him Cor Corden Corden I always want to call him Cordain Uh, (laughs) but Corden like that's one of the beautiful things is like he speaks from from a very personal place of that didn't work for me and he talks a little bit in the clip of like yeah I know this is like a thing that I need to work on I know that people perceive me as being unhealthy. I know that being overweight is unhealthy, but that is not sustainable change. Like, and he even talks about this is something that I've been dealing with like my whole life. I'm very aware of the fact that I need to make these changes. Uh, whereas Bill Maher doesn't have it's he's a rather average looking guy. Um, I can't see at least he's never spoke of dealing with like a weight issue or anything like that. And so it's very easy from for somebody to speak from the outside to say, this is what you should do. This is how you should change. Don't you know that this and this and this. But if unless you're actually dealing with that particular situation, then you don't really have a lot of license to speak on mm. what happens, the inner workings of a particular sort of problem that someone right. may have. And Just you- like. I was going to just say, I can never speak on women's issues. I mean, I can speak from a point of where I listen to women and I can maybe add my opinion, but never would I ever say. And likewise, I don't like for non-Black people to speak on Black issues and tell me what I need to do. So I totally agree. <laughs> what? No, I'm serious. It's true. I just, it's, it's true. It's, 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 it's true. from a place of judgment and yes. not a place of empathy. You're yes. not speaking from you know, real time situations no, and it's very different. Yeah, exactly. you're speaking on what you think you know and what you have come to maybe understand from the outside, but you have no real inside knowledge of the matter. And by the way, I'm not black, so. Oh, okay, good. Such a relief. So, what? But, but what it does mention that what I like about Corden, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm, um, is that he made the point of like, why he he was eating a pint of ice cream? He's like when 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 I felt this, it just made me do more. When I was shamed, it just made me eat more. I felt worse about myself, and then I just did the very things that right. contribute as sabotage. Basically, when I'm shamed, so it, it's a self fulfilling cycle. Of so kind of maybe maybe prophecy. If someone says we try to fat shame somebody else or shame anyone in any way, that it is only going to reinforce the behaviors that a person knows. And he also made the point, he's like, I know what I need to do. And people have this misconception that people who are fat are lazy or stupid, or they don't know what to do, or they, you know, they're gluttonous, they don't eat right or whatever. It's not true. And it's not true. There's so many reasons a person can be overweight. And a lot of it, there are more reasons than just the food or how much they eat. Mm -hmm. I have a girlfriend who can eat whatever, she eats less than I do. She's overweight. She eats less than I do. Oh, but when she's stressed, her weight goes up. Even though she eats less when she's stressed. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And so this idea of like, we should fat shame. You you need to know what a person's journey is before you judge them. And I get very, I'm very angry just talking about it because it's it's unfortunate. It's it's, it's terrible. I was going to say, I don't know a single overweight person that to me does, I mean... My background is in is 
you know, personal trainer and certifying to be a nutritionist. Most of the overweight people I knew do more than me, go to the gym more than me, watch what they eat more than me, all of those sort of things. If that's not a contributing factor to one thing or the other, I've always been small. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've just always leaned that way. And some people are the opposite. And so this idea that overweight people are lazy and couch potatoes and don't go to the gym, I almost every person that I know that's considered to be overweight could probably murder me in the gym. Like, honestly speaking, but it doesn't just because I don't look like it on the outside. There's this misconception that people always say this to me all the time. Like I have a a girl that I work with and, you know, I'll eat like a bunch of cookies and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to be so sick. And she's like, oh, you go to the gym all the time. I don't actually go to the gym all the time. You think I do because I'm small, but I don't actually, you know, and I know like other people who don't look like they go to the gym all the time who do who are actually a lot healthier than I am just because of their lifestyle. But there's this misconception that if you're a certain size and you must be healthy and if you're over a size, yeah, then you're not. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is I don't think that we should dismiss the, the gentleman that sort of brought the two conversations together. I think he had some really viable points that we could talk about as well, how he uh, took from both sides. He could see from Bill Morris position And of course, he's a comedian. He's late night talk host. So, of course, he's throwing things out there to get the conversation Mm -hmm. going, just like he's gotten a hard conversation going. But yet, uh, Mr. Corbin. Corden. Corden. Lisa's fault. Um, (laughs) He had his point as a, you know, being a person of sizable of size. But yet this young man, he was a fitness trainer. Mm. But he used to be overweight, so right. he could look at it from both ends. And I really appreciated his position on how he, I think he said, um can't remember exactly what he, he was just saying that he could really pull from both sides and how there is a bit of dialogue that we need to have. It may be labeled as quote unquote shaming, but is it really shaming? Bringing facts to the point, to the, the fore and to talk about it. And I, I, I like that position more than either of their positions, the two comedians. And, you know, hopefully we can talk about that if you guys remember it about some of the things that he said. Yeah. So the, the video event that we all watched, um, in addition to, or rather, as opposed to just looking at Bill Maher's position or James Corden's position, this trainer online, his name is John David Glaude. I think I'm saying that correctly. His handle is obese to beast. And we'll we'll link it in the show notes, the video that we're talking about. But he lost 180 pounds. So he really did. He could speak from both perspectives, right, as a as a big person. And how it felt when somebody brought to his attention his size and that it was potentially unhealthy and what it meant for, you know, his his future, maybe not long term, but a short term future. Um, And then, you know, having made a change in his life and having lost weight, you know, how he looks at other people who are of size, probably more so with compassion than judgment. Which I think is kind of the point that James Corden was getting to was, you know, do you think that anyone really doesn't know that they're in a precarious situation with their health because they're overweight, that they need someone, a stranger, most likely to point that out to them? Do you really think that that's going to motivate change? Um, and so I would point to any 80s movie and a montage with some great music of a person, you know, rallying from, you know, being 
disappointed or or having someone humiliate them in public to say, well, it works in the movies, hmm. but that's not necessarily how real life works. Yeah, no, it doesn't Everything work in the works movies. in the movies. <laughs> I mean, can't you just see like some like Rocky montage with some great music yeah, in the background? I have this same thing with people who like watch these like rom-com movies and they just expect that that's what relationships are like. I mean, movies are just that. They're made for the fictional ideas of what people think things are like. It's not like that with romance. It's not like that with real relationships. With, yeah, real relationships. It's not like that with body image or health or in, the whole purpose of those to movies entertain. is to entertain and almost detach a little bit from reality. And so when you based your when you base your idea of reality on something that's not reality, there's going to be a disconnect because those things don't don't happen in real life. But don't. speaking on the subject, what do you mean with that as far as that illustration that you use? Or are you? Well, I was saying like with Jen saying that, you know, people feel like you're going to have this like rocky moment where maybe oh. like somebody's going to make fun of you and then you get train into the gym right. and you train real hard and you get I to come it. back. Like that is not, not real, right. real life. That's not what people leave feeling. Most of the time people and to speak to Jen's point. To say to anyone anything that is not a new idea to them and think that you're going to evoke some type of change to tell a, a fat person that they're fat. Well, do you like <laughs> to tell anybody anything that they already have felt about themselves is not really going to evoke a change from them. Like, yeah, you saw it today. I've been seeing it for years. You know, before I was a trainer, I actually was like super duper small. And people used to say to me all the time, like, you're so skinny. Do you eat? Like, like, yeah, I eat. Like, yeah, I'm skinny. I know I'm skinny. Like, it's not that's not right. a new idea to me. It's not a new thought to me. And that didn't actually make me want to do eat anything more, differently. Right. Not to mention I'm not this small because I choose to be like I, I'm doing all that I feel like I can do to be, quote unquote, a normal size, average size. And that's not working for me. So it wasn't like a a motivator for people to tell me what I can already look in the mirror and see. And I think that that's true across the board when you tell people whatever it is they already know about themselves. Well, and I think, too, that I know this as an entrepreneur, right? People take advice from their friends. They buy from their friends. So a stranger to walk up to me or anyone and say, you're fat, you should do something about that. That doesn't motivate anyone. People are motivated by love. They want to know that you see me. You understand my struggle. Oh, yes. Tell me, do you have advice for me? Only then do they open to the idea of anything we might give, which is why advice is worth the price is paid for, which if it came free and it didn't come with love, that means nothing to people. All it does is make them feel bad. Um, and Jen has this example. Sorry, Lawrence. He has, I think you wrote about it on the blog, right? Of being fat shamed about in the that. gym. Yeah. Uh, so I was in a gym working out in a hotel and this guy was in there uh, reading doing, like on his phone. I don't even know what he was doing. He wasn't working out that hard. I can tell you that. And he felt like he should come over and give me some, you know, <laughs> Some some words of encouragement about what I was not what I should be doing to improve my workout. And I think he came from a very um, generous place in his heart. But in reality, I went upstairs to my room and I started crying. And even though I worked out every day for the previous prior three weeks, 
I don't think I worked that again for another month after that. I was just so like, this is like, there's no point. Um, it made me feel very helpless, in fact. Um, and that anything I was doing wasn't making a big enough difference on the outside. Um, because here this stranger came and wanted to tell me that I was working out wrong, that if I really wanted to lose weight, I should be doing X, Y, and Z. Um, so I don't, so you're right. Fat shaming doesn't, it, I don't think it works for most people. Which I remember that. And all of us got on our hind legs. We I wanted his to number. find this guy. Let's Google him. Like, <laughs> but, but I think for me too, like at the time, I think I was either studying to be a trainer or maybe I was finished. But I was just like, who is some random person in the gym to come give you like advice on like who makes you the expert in what? You know, and maybe if he had a story to tell, maybe if he, you know, I lost 300 pounds and this is how I did it. But he didn't lead with that. Right. He he didn't come from that place of compassion, of understanding. He came from this like very surface level. This is what I think you could be doing differently. And it had a, a negative reaction for everybody who even heard of it. Like, yeah. Who do you think and you so he, yeah, he he did. He so he apparently had some sort of health struggle. I don't know if it was weight, um, but you said Google it. And the only reason we could is because he then gave me a book that he had written um, about like the power of personal responsibility. And and that just irritated me even more. Um, As if to say, you're not taking your responsibility seriously right. enough. Yeah. That must be why you're in the situation that you're in. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how dare you presume that you know what my journey yeah. has been? Um, not That's to mention, I just have to add, as a health coach, emotional, the emotional factors that keep people stuck have nothing to do with food. And that's what the young man was saying um, as far as a moderator. And yeah, I would love to be able to talk about some of the things that he mentioned. But I love the fact that he said that we need to educate. And I think we all are in agreement that everyone's situation is not the same, as you mentioned, Lisa, and definitely we shouldn't be judgmental. Um, but I um, I really feel like we need to be able to receive. I mean, again, I'm, this guy didn't know you, obviously, and he should have been very um, careful about what he said or even said anything to you about that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think like you were saying, April, as far as we trust our friends. And so if we see something um, we should attempt to try to educate and to encourage. And I think that spurns more productive um, activity or feelings amongst the person we're trying to help. Yeah. Um, and another thing that he mentioned, it was about uh, leading by example. I thought mm -hmm. that was the biggest sort of contributor to what we can do for each other as far as, okay, this is what I eat or this is what I do or allow that person to um to inquire with you so oh, i'm gonna get to your comment just a second lisa um but i wanted to step back for just a second and talk about having compassion for people and, and as opposed to trying to educate them so imagine for, for a moment that you met someone who was a hoarder and it was very clear to you that they were a hoarder you go to their house and you see you know the the conditions in which they live do you feel like you would be qualified to tell that person what they need to do to improve their situation, Lisa? Mm. I don't, no. Yeah. But I I was thinking in terms of educate, we're always so quick to tell other people what to do. Spend the time to educate yourself on what someone else might be going through or dealing with. Just talking about in terms of people's like 
health and fitness. Like I know someone, cyclist, like she's like all around the world, you know, taking the same route as the Tour de France, like, like a real cyclist had an ankle injury, which led to needing to be on steroids. She had some sort of surgery um, on her ankle that turned into some sort of um, immune problem and then had to take more medication on top of that. Now she's double the size that she used to be, but it came from injuring the ankle and the medication that was prescribed and her body responding in a certain type of way. If I didn't know that, I could give her all the advice in the world on how to lose weight. But if you'd stop judging somebody on what you think you know and actually take the time to understand how they got from here to there or what their struggles have been in their life, then, okay, now you're really in a place to operate from compassion. But we spend so much time thinking that we have to educate other people on what we think we know. But if we took the time to educate ourselves on what other people are going through, what their journey has been, the things that that are an issue for them in this place in their life where they are right now, then we really hit the sweet spot. It's not really other people who need the education. It's our it's ourselves, really. To yeah. access our own empathy. And I should say, we should add to the discussion that um, part of the reason that uh, Mar made this comment was because it was in response to the idea that people should just stop worrying about their weight. They should just accept their bodies as it is. And they should, whatever your weight is, is fine, which is one side, but also not balanced because we understand the health issues that come with being overweight, right? And the uh, increased rates of cancer and all these other kinds of diabetes and high blood high blood pressure, diseases of affluence that come with being overweight. So it's not just like, well, you're overweight, so you should just accept it and be beautiful and show up in your bikini and not worry about it. At the same time, shaming, though, what he prescribes to as the answer to one side of the issue is also not correct. And it doesn't work. And I, what comes up for me is I, I was coaching a woman who sub- suffered from a substance abuse problem And she very much so suffered for some time when turned out that she had done something. She had molested her brother. Someone had molested her um, and she was suffering with the shame for a long time. What the and by her way of medicating the shame was the abuse, the substance abuse, having a conversation with her brother to say. This is what happened. I am sorry to really unearthed that with her brother, she said she stopped using from that day. Now, how does that, after years of abuse, substance abuse, doesn't that tell us something about shame? She's layered under all the shame, feeling like she had destroyed her life and her brother's by doing something, honestly, that was, she was really young when it happened. Somebody should have asked her where she learned it, right? Nobody stopped to do that. They shamed her. She buried on that shame, ended up with in these very self-destructive behaviors. And the moment she was able to speak it and to say she was sorry and to heal it, her brother to say, I forgive you. Wow. What does that tell us? Shame doesn't work to to help us. It only makes us feel worse. It only puts us in more self-destructive behaviors. And that's just one example that's not actually... You know, right. we it's not that's not that's not scientifically based. I didn't go out here and poll people. No. This is somewhat a, per, a story I know personally. It's powerful. That is powerful. 
And Brene Brown talks about in her book, which we opened up with, um, is that once you turn the light on, on those shame gremlins. gremlins that follow you in the dark, once you turn the light on and you turn around, they go away, you know, because it's not facing them and it's keeping them in the dark that gives them the power to control you the way that they have been. But once you take that power from them, they have no choice but to die, you know? And I think that's a place that we could operate from. How do we turn those lights on so that people can take control in a different way and face the things that have been chasing them down for so long and come to a point where everybody is operating in a healthy space you know and we don't give the voice for those things because we all have them it they just manifest themselves differently but how do we we shut off the voices of the things that make us all run all of us run from something whatever that is and and we run in different ways but if we can learn how to how to manage those things how to help other people manage those things and how to deal with them in a way that you know kind of keeps us all in the light so to speak. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm very conscious of that, especially um, when traveling. I think one of the first articles that I wrote for our blog was about um, being overweight and what it feels like to get on an airplane and, and wonder, like, how am I going to fit in the seat? And, you know, will I encroach on the person next to me? And what's that ride going to be like? And so, especially in airports, I find that um, I always look big people in the eye because I think that knowing what that anxiety feels like about to get on the airplane, I try to to really just be a human and connect with someone. And especially if they're on the plane and you can tell that they're taking up more than the seat that they purchased, um, I really do try to look at them and acknowledge them and smile because um, I think too often they're they're hanging their head in shame and people walking past them are like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to sit next to that. Um, and that doesn't help anybody. That doesn't help you feel good. I certainly won't help that person feel good. I feel the same way about people in wheelchairs. You know, I think that there's certain um, discomfort. Like, I don't I don't know what to say. I'm not sure how to act or interact. Um, and so I just look people in their eye and I smile at them. And I make a point of, of saying kind of what April said. is like, I see you, you know, and, and there's no reason for you to hide. Um, because you can't, especially if you're a big person. But also because, you know what, there's... That's not the, the sum of who you are. Um, and I just feel like we don't do enough to make people feel okay. Um, because we don't know their story and we don't have to, but they're here in front of us Indeed. and they're another human. So why not show them some consideration? Absolutely. The empathy, I think, is yeah, what I... beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we're all hard. speaking to the empathy, right? Yeah. Of like... Access your own humanity so you can see another human. Yeah. And if you're going to stand on your judgment seat, you're not accessing your humanity. You're standing in judgment. Cool. You can do that. You might as well put on a cape. Yeah. Really, like put on your hoodie and hide so you can stand in judgment of somebody oh, else. You didn't you know mean I mean? like your superhero cape. No, you meant, I meant like. <laughs> I did think she was thinking that. I was like, wow. No, your cape. Like, oh, no. you mean I, like your Ku Klux Klan cape. I wasn't gonna. I was just gonna say you can hide as long as you don't access your own humanity. Yeah, it's easy to stand in judgment of somebody else. Yeah, I I recently watched this documentary. Uh, really good, as you recommended. Actually, it's uh called Far from the Tree. It's on Netflix. But the um the guy in this documentary, he also wrote a book. I read the book long time ago. Really, really good. 
But um, he talks about what happens when, you know, that expression, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, what happens when it does? What happens when you have a kid or a family member or somebody that you love who just is not like you in whatever way? And so they talk about this uh, child who is autistic, another one who has some sort of... uh, he has some sort of disability where he can't really he's not like schizophrenic, but his perception on reality is not normal. Same as everyone I will else's. say, yeah, it's not the same as everyone else's. Um, the author himself is a gay man who grew up in the 50s and, you know, with straight parents. And then the one that was really interesting to me was this these parents who their child was he murdered somebody when he was like 18 years old mm. and like they could not wrap them, their heads around like what in the world did we do as parents or whatever for our child to do this thing that's like so awful and he really did do it like no denial he did it but documentary is about accessing that compassion of just understanding other people around you and so the the, the child who was autistic was also um interesting to me because so many times we will go into a store and you see like a kid screaming and you're like your parents need to like beat your butt because why are you acting like that like i would lay the smack down if i were your parents without understanding that like right. there's something actually happening and these parents are doing the best that they can with this child with whatever their particular issues with and it also gave you some insight with the child because his behavior actually was a expression of him not being able to express himself. He was nonverbal and he would like flip out because, I mean, imagine being 10 years old or 12 years old and not being being able to articulate yourself. It's frustrating. He used to like hit himself in the face until he bled. Mm. And it's, you know, all. So imagine the frustration of first the child not being able to articulate himself. And then the parents trying to care for someone who can't articulate themselves. And now put yourself in the position of the person who's at the supermarket, who's like, what's wrong with your kid? You know, it's like, wh- where, how do we get there? You know, without understanding that there's such a bigger thing happening with most people, most of the time. And if we can put ourselves in a place of empathy where we're trying to understand, and maybe we don't have to like walk up to that person and be like, what's happening with your kid? Tell me the whole story. <laughs> please, you know? don't. Oh, please don't. Please <laughs> don't. Please don't. But if you can even just have it in your mind that it's not my business, honestly. Like, it's not my business. Well, and, and I hope that, that they're okay. And that there's more happening here than I can happening. see. Yes. Right. And I don't, and need, to, I don't my... need to be able to see all of it. And yeah. that clearly they're having a tough time time yeah so let me not add to that yeah for the parent or child or, or the whoever child, right yeah it's not it's not my place just keep getting your groceries well said thank you for listening please connect with us on social media at the jealous vegan on instagram twitter or facebook or at the and sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content to support your plant-based journey and until then Don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.